Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on American Glutton, I am talking to Dr. Joan Ifland. She's considered to be the world's leading expert in processed food addiction. Today we discuss how she is helping people gain control over food and her three mottos for success. Dr. Joan Ifland, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very, very glad to be here. I really appreciate it. I want to hear about your textbook first um, okay. uh, and about food addiction. Can we talk about that? How, how, what started you on this journey to figuring all of this out? Okay. The textbook is, um, I wrote it over three years, Did, just totally devoted for three years. It's called Processed Food Addiction. It's on Amazon. And it it's serving the purpose that I hoped it would serve, which is to just put an end to the argument. Right. Does it exist? So the book is 240,000 words long. It's built on 2,000 studies. I looked at probably 8,000 studies. And you're like, uh, wait, whoa, time out. I've never heard of food addiction. How can there be that much research? And it's because a lot of the obesity research, eating disorder research, and drug and alcohol addiction research is illustrating aspects of processed food addiction. So how do we know? What, what do you know? If, you, if it's so new, how do you know what it looks like? Well, I was in recovery myself. I started work on the textbook in 2014. And it, by that time I'd been in recovery myself for, uh, let's see, 14 plus four, 18 years. Congratulations. So I had hung around with a lot of recovering food addicted people. So yeah, 18 years. So um, I knew what it looked like. I heard people talking about it. And then for my doctoral dissertation work, I took the diagnostic criteria for alcoholism. So how do you diagnose? How do you know somebody has an addiction? It's by behaviors. Okay. There are, there are specific behaviors. Yes, they're coming out of, they're being driven by specific uh, alterations in brain function. It's, so you have two pieces, you have two massive bits of of evidence. One, you have the, the brain imaging studies showing that the brains of chronic overeaters are doing the same thing as the brains of drug and alcohol addicted people. I mean, that should end the debate right there. I'm, I'm sober. And I've also had, you know, my entire life has been like a battle with food. And so, you know, there would be different ways of understanding having been through uh, drug and alcohol rehab a number of times and you see guys who are addicted to alcohol which i i consider myself a, an alcoholic however i never once went through what some of like the old timers went through in rehab who were physically addicted to alcohol who 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 you know becomes this weird thing where like you know, I don't know if it's if it's super well known. But I know it because I saw it where guys come in and like a guy comes in for cocaine addiction and it's like, let him sleep, let him eat. He'll be fine. A guy comes in with long term alcoholism and he has to take a whole bunch of other medications so he doesn't die yes. from coming off of it. And so I think of addiction in these different kind of terms when we're talking about food and I I for sure had to, for a very long portion of time, 
kind of reroute the way I thought about stuff. You, you pass by a McDonald's billboard and where it makes me salivate and, you know, they're blowing the smoke out or the steam and it smells like that. And everything is going like, I need to eat that. And I have to convince myself kind of analytically rewire my brain and go, that's not food. And like, I wouldn't eat it today because of what I know it leads to, but I don't know that I think about those necessarily in the same way as I think about addiction with drugs and alcohol. Can you help me out how I can understand that? Yeah, it is. You're asking a super excellent question. How are it's just processed foods and some high sugar fruits, but how could you possibly be addicted, like addicted unto death? Yeah, same way that you're addicted unto death to drugs and alcohol, they will kill you. Whether right. you're injecting fentanyl by accident or heroin overdose, or uh, they all lead to the same place that you either get off them or they will kill you. So how could processed foods that we're giving to children and our avatar, how could that be as deadly as uh, alcohol? Well, it is now, diet-related diseases are now the leading cause of preventable death in the world. Wow. They have overtaken smoking. So smoking for a long time was the leading cause of preventable death. So one thing that I think we could get clear on right away, the, chap the textbook has an entire chapter on food plans. And in it, uh, we've laid out the evidence, study by study by study, Sugar is more destructive and more addictive than cocaine. Wow. Is that just because I think a lot more people are exposed to sugar, certainly, than are exposed to cocaine? Is that, is that why? Or are you saying like gram for gram in a human body, sugar is more damaging? Yes. And so how can I say that? There's a brilliant study. It's called a composite study and it's a brain imaging study. So composite means they took like eight or nine cocaine addicted people, eight or nine obese people and eight or nine normal people. And you can see that the brain alterations are most severe for the obese people. And oh, wow. I don't think of them as being obese. I think of them as being processed food addicted. Right. Yeah, so that was one study. And then there's another study showing, so it was a rat study, and the researcher injected cocaine versus sugar into the nose of rats. They were all wired up, and he could trace how long it took for the cocaine to reach the brain versus the sugar. The sugar got there faster, and he was also able to measure the dopamine explosion and the sugar exploded the dopamine more than the cocaine. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and then the third thing that I just learned about is um, a study in which they put sugar in the mouth of uh, volunteers and measured how long before they felt the effect in their brains. It was half a second. I think cocaine right. takes 10 seconds or, or longer before you feel that explosion. So um, what I, I think none of this makes sense unless you know the tobacco story. Okay, so to, in the height of smoking, the tobacco industry had addicted two thirds of American adults. Right. And they went to quit in 1964, the Surgeon General said, oh, smoking causes cancer. And like, oh, okay, well, I'll stop smoking. Not. You know, people said, okay, but I'll just have one more. Oh, but I'll just have one more. Wow, this is harder to do than I thought. There is a business model that sets this up. I am a, I have an MBA from Stanford way, way back. It's more than 40 years old. And I wondered, there were a lot of years when I wondered, why did I get that degree? Well, now I know. Because I could look at business practices and sort them out. So there is an addiction business model. And these corporations, you know, because certainly the US system is pretty, the political system is, let's just say vulnerable to corruption. You know, those legislators have to raise millions and millions of dollars for their campaigns. 
So they just let this go on. Now, in the case of tobacco and in the case of processed foods, the addiction business model is first you hide addictive substances in product, like hide nicotine in cigarettes, extra nicotine, hide sugar, fat, salt at addictive levels in processed foods. Uh, uh, I, I want to use the word attack, but uh, market to <laughs> the youngest possible user. And in the case of cigarettes, they tried the Joe Camel cartoon campaign for 10 year old boys. I remember um, before I was 18, I had stacks of camel cash and I would send away and get Zippo lighters and beer coolers. I couldn't I couldn't smoke or drink legally, but I've yeah, I was there. So and so that's exactly that's exactly right. That's a that's a fantastic illustration uh, with sugar, fat, salt. They went for children over cartoon commercials. So there were already a hundred in 1985 when the tobacco industry bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the space of three years. There were already 150 commercials for sugary drinks. You know, tobacco company had been had already bought Hawaiian Punch and Capri Sun and uh, Kool-Aid, so they were already marketing sugar to children. But there were already 150 commercials at that time. Within seven years, there were 550 commercials on cartoon programs for highly addictive sugary processed foods, sugar salt, laden processed foods. Nickelodeon carried those commercials to 65 million households. We do know from the research, it's very clear that repeat messaging on top of highly addictive substances, that works together to train, this is Pavlovian conditioning of the reward center in the brain to just be constantly exploding with these craving brain chemicals. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Do you think okay, so the youngest of possible user, young age of onset, advertising, they ramped up the advertising availability, you know, they, they finally were forced to take out the tobacco vending machines, the cigarette machines. Well, they just came right in and put them, put replaced them with sugar, sugary drink and snack machines. And then uh, affordability is the, it's the five A's. Affordability became possible in processed foods also in the 1980s with the commercialization of high fructose corn syrup. And then those tobacco companies know, knew that they didn't have to depend on their fellow dealers in the, the Florida sugar cartel. They had an unlimited source of cheap sweetener and they just went for it. And then you had the government uh, advertising, promoting these highly addictive refined carbohydrates in the, the food pyramid. The whole bottom roll was highly addictive refined carbohydrates because the guy in charge of it was on the take from the sugar industry. Yeah, I remember when um, fat got kind of demonized and suddenly everything was low fat, but had a lot more sugar in it, which yeah. we just continued to get larger and larger as a, as a culture, even after that, every time, every time I see that the government comes in and says, everybody should eat like this. It doesn't really seem to work out Run well the us. other way. Yeah. Run. <laughs> will, will we see any kind of like the insider? Will there be a whistleblower who comes out and says they know what's going on? I, I think though in America, it's very difficult because the way the system appears to me, it's like, you eat, uh, you, you have a malnutritious diet and you get sick. And then we are so in love with our pills and our, you know, our, our statins. Oh, hang and... on, hang on. I'll do a reframe if you like. Okay. I okay. want to hear it. Um, so what I heard you say is that we're in love with our pills. No, we have a, the, the pharmaceutical industry 
captured the medical industry and all the, the, the main core, you know, the doctors say are trained in pharmacology. Right. They're not trained in lifestyle or diets or any of those things. So one thing that, uh, so if you go to the doctor, this authority figure, the only tool that doctor has is prescribing or surgery. So it's, I don't think it's us because we get people into our recovery community all the time. And they're like, does your doctor know you're in here? Would you please tell your doctor in it so they know how to de-prescribe? Those doctors are thrilled to de-prescribe and our members are thrilled to get off those medications. Right. So, all right. It, no, no, yes, time in. I just stop there. Of course, the system just appears like Yes, we, we eat a bad diet and it's like a constant, like a really constant shady mechanic. You take your car in cause you need a new hubcap and then you, you know, next week you need a new radiator and so on and so forth. And you just never escape this trap. We, the food we eat in, in broad terms is garbage. And then we're then pumped with a bunch of medicines, which yeah. every single one seems to have a side effect, which requires a new one. Yeah. And there's no escaping this, this cyclical. Well, hell. yeah. So people believe that there's no escape because they're doctors and their health professionals, their dietitians, their nutritionists, their therapists have not been trained in what is the escape. But I want all of your listeners to know, all of your audience, there is a way out. If you are experiencing this, I've spent the last 25 years figuring out what is the way out. And now I know what it is. For a severe addiction, you need long-term immersion recovery. You've got billions of brain cells to reprogram and that's it. It's yeah. not your childhood issues. It's not your genetics. It's not because you hate yourself. It's not because you're self-sabotaging. It's not any of those things. You have some hyperactive addicted brain cells and a lot of them because they've been trained to be hyperactive since, since you were born. 52% baby formula, you know, uh, corn syrup, solids, and sugar. It's the oddest thing because I've been working on myself for about 20 years. Yeah. And prior You're doing a great job, obviously. Thank you very much. Pr prior to that, I didn't wake up every day and go, God, I feel awful. It just was how I felt. And, mm -hmm. you know, now it, it, when I find myself in the present, if a couple of times a year I have some ice cream or I have a pizza or something like that, which is really, really rare, um, I feel so awful the next yes, day. Yes, you could really get the full toxicity of these substances. Yeah. They're not food at all. And yes, they're addictive. And yes, they're incredibly destructive. They attack cell function in eight different ways. There's a list of 140 diseases for which there are studies linking processed foods to that disease. And I've been getting people off of processed foods for over 25 years. It's to the point, and I know this sounds over the top, but I can't help myself. I have to speak the truth. Over uh, those 25 years, people will come to me, they'll say, well, do you think such and such will clear up? And it's to the point now where I say, unless it's been surgically removed or you've lost it in an accident, let's see it come back. And uh, I don't, there's nothing that doesn't go away. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing on that list of 140. As I said, if your thyroid's been removed, you got to work with your doctor and get that medication on board. But, um, and it might take some months for the depression to clear up, could even be a couple of years. But uh, work with your doctor, get off the medication, the, the antidepressant medication that gives you depression, you know, do it slowly so that you don't uh, suffer. Uh, but dang, I will tell you. Well, like, like that with, with some of the stuff like um, alcohol or some of the, 
psychopharmaceuticals, which, which can also kill you some like, uh, you know, I know like if you're, if you're addicted to something like Xanax, like truly physiologically addicted to it, just stopping cold Turkey is a really bad idea. And You've I be- got to do prescribe. You've yeah. got to get with a physician. You've got to get with whoever prescribed it. And if that person won't de-prescribe, sometimes I think doctors are afraid to de-prescribe, take a patient off the medication because they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to get you on, but they don't know how to get you off. If any of your listeners are in that position, I can send you to physicians who will de-prescribe you. Okay, but similar to this idea of de-prescribing if you have somebody who and and i think that it's um you know i live in my own bubble i live in the world i've created so i don't and and many of my friends are interested in health and stuff of that sort so we don't you know i'm not really in contact with people who are eating at mcdonald's three times a day yeah yeah. but but i think that that is the norm it certainly was the norm for me 20 plus years ago you're being um, very smart about this. You're saying a lot of smart things. Thank you very much. What What is the, is there a gradient step for people so that it's not so shocking? Because yes, I think yes. if there's some radical change, that's not super easy. I have to say to you, I do probably two podcasts a week on average with interviewers. You are the first interviewer ever got. This is the the most crucial question that you've just asked, and nobody asked it. So well, I'm an, I'm a recovering addict, so this is what I think about. So how do you get through withdrawal? Yeah, that's basically yeah. my question. And this is I I'm going to say this, and I can go through the evidence for this, but um, processed food addiction is a much more severe addiction than any other addiction. So that's, I know, I know you just see the image of people shooting up in a back alley. Oh, that's worse. Well, I, uh, let me say something to, to, to rationalize what you're saying. I always thought that too, but the way that I did this computation of it was shooting up in the back alley is super culturally taboo. It's not, uh-huh. you, you mm-hmm. don't want to be doing it, mm-hmm. but any gas station, any movie theater, any bookstore, any shopping mall, anywhere any you drive your car. Event, it any is, faith organization, any volunteer organization, any sports organization, anything any school, we do in any life, workplace. Yes. It, it, be it, pushing it. That's right. So you just hit on one of the reasons why I think this is the worst addiction. The worst addiction ever, too, is because it starts... Uh, and I said to Rob Lustig once, who wrote the great book, Metabolical. I t- um, had him on my podcast last week. I, great I just, guy. I said to him once, I said, you know, this really starts at birth. And he said, no, it doesn't. It starts at conception. And he was right. <laughs> I conceded the, the point. It starts at conception because if the parents are eating processed foods, the genes are already replicating in an addictive way. So that the very first cell in that new being uh, is replicating addictively. So that's another reason why, and, and then it never stops. Even if uh, you're breastfeeding the baby, if you're eating sugar, we now know that that sugar is reaching the baby in the breast milk. So um, it never stops. That means that every cell that develops in that brain is developing in an addicted brain. And they're all adapted addictively. So when I say to somebody, yes, you know, come into our program. Um, I also, you know, I have to tell them, we've got billions of brain cells to reprogram. And it's going to take a long time to get them all done. <laughs> and and even when you have them all done, you're still going to be here protecting your gains. Because as soon as you go out into mainstream culture, there's a part of the brain that copies the mirror neurons. And they'll start copying people who are eating processed foods and you'll just find yourself doing it and sick again. So I wish, you know, I had a more optimistic answer, but I'm not. I am just like, I am sticking to the truth. This is an addictive culture. We live in a, a culture where the corporations are allowed to addict us 
and keep us addicted until we die. Something right. else Rob Lustig said in Metabolical is U.S. Department of Agriculture is not killing us, but they're letting us die. Yeah. So the latest statistics are that Americans are eating 67% of their calories in processed foods. This is just, the, this is what addictions do. They get worse over time. I just uh, wrote a piece um, called, uh, is it COVID or is it processed food addiction? COVID wouldn't have happened if processed food addiction hadn't gotten there first. So 60% of COVID mortality is in people with diet-related diseases. Well, how did they get those diet-related diseases? Processed food addiction. So if you take away 60% of the mortality, you don't have a COVID. You have a really bad flu season, a really bad flu season. But you don't have economies locking down and you don't have, um, you know, you don't have a couple of thousand people in the US alone dying. But I tell you something interesting, very few days of the COVID epidemic did the death rate get above the pre-existing death rate for diet-related diseases, which is 1,800 Americans every day. Without fail, day in, day out, it's not seasonal, there's no spikes, that's just the, the average. That's just cancer, and obesity and diabetes and heart disease and stroke. It doesn't even include the hidden ones like um, suicide. Like we know that when that's what addictions do is they suppress the feel good parts of the brain. Very slight, not statistically significant rise in suicides, especially among children. But an addiction will suppress all the feel good parts of the brain. And then you're just like, so why am I living? There's nothing good going on in my life. Right. So it doesn't include that, um, you know, infections, processed foods suppress the immune system. It doesn't include uh, most things. It doesn't include everything. So it's just a thing that they're generally recognized. Yeah. For somebody who hasn't had to confront this who just was raised eating this kind of food and and wakes up one day and somebody's like hey you, your life might be better if you changed your diet uh -huh. and, or they come to that however they come to that uh -huh. what are the steps i mean because i can i can go like you know for me stuff has sucked and i just white knuckle my way through it but is yeah. there a way to uh ease that at all yes 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 Thank you, thank you. I'm just glad you brought us back to this question. How do you start? So start with the premise, uh, well over 70% of Americans are overweight or obese and obviously they don't want to be, you know? So um, this is widespread. You, you see research showing that it only takes seven days of a 30% sugar solution, seven days 30% sugar solution for a rat's brain to start to show the signs of addiction. Okay, highly addictive. 67% of everything that Americans eat is processed. And um, so everybody's got this. I, I had a prepared meal company at one time in one of my delusional states where I thought, oh, I'll just give them clean food, they'll love it, and then they'll, they'll do it. No, no, that's like saying to a severe alcoholic, let me tell you about water. Water is so cool. <laughs> it's just like, no. And it took me, really, it took me 22, it took me until I was writing the textbook, until I was about halfway through the textbook to realize this is a severe addiction. So in this prepared meal company, we're serving a very high-end law firm in downtown Houston. So this, this is like the tippy top, cream of the crop of the law schools, uh, very demanding work, very intellectually demanding and so we would like send them five days of food. And then I call them at the end of the week and they say, I know some unusual things this week. <laughs> like, oh, so, well, I seem to be thinking more clearly. I remember the first time I heard one of these high, probably just highest functioning people on the planet say, I seem to be thinking more clearly. 
I'm not having the mid-afternoon and the mid-morning slump. And I'm not tired. And I'm not craving. Do you think that's, that has anything to do with the food? Like, hell yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if it's reached to that level, it's everywhere. Everybody has this. And I know I remember giving a presentation at a conference and this dietitian, a pretty high level dietitian in the organization came up to the microphone. I had been giving my presentation of this kind of evidence and it's evidence. I'm not making this up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And she comes to the front and she says, are you suggesting that two thirds of Americans are addicted to processed foods? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. And so here's the evidence. She just went, she, she didn't say anything else. She just looked at me and rolled her eyeballs and smirked and walked away from the microphone. That's what we're up against here. When so was this? This was like, two years ago at a conference. It doesn't conference. seem so radical to me. Like looking no. around, it doesn't seem like such a crazy thing to say. No. And until, but until you get it deep on the inside, what, what happened to us, what was done to us by the tobacco industry via processed foods, everybody blames the individual which traumatizes the individual and makes them hate themselves because they can't get it under control because they're not getting the right treatment. And it just gets worse. It's a spiraling downward. So let's, let's try to get to this question you're asking. Yes. How, do you, how do you start? How do you do this gradually? I am so just really thrilled that you're asking that question and we get to talk about this. We have three, well, so we have our recovery community, the addiction reset community, and we're ha we have an, a one week intensive three times a year, which is reset week. And um, my, uh, there are three mottos that are my three favorite mottos. One, we have all the time in the world. Two, slow and steady wins the race. Three, the slower you go, the further you get. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So the other thing that makes this, uh, one of the many things that makes this such a severe addiction is the number of different substances involved. And if you go to a drug counselor and you're doing alcohol and meth and marijuana and cigarettes and cocaine and some heroin, that, 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 that that's a big single signal to the drug counselor, this person needs residential treatment. We're gonna to have to get them off of a lot of different substances. Well, in the case of processed foods, there are 300 kinds of sugar and you, and you really, any one is substitutable for the next. There are tons and tons of kind of flour. These are carbohydrates that get into the system fast because they're powdered. You know, think about cocaine and heroin, they're powder. Um, they get into the system very quickly and then you get the high and the crash that's characteristic of an addictive substance. Gluten, gluten attaches to the same receptors as opiates. You have a dairy. Dairy has a casomorphine, four kinds of casomorphine in it that is strong enough to put a 100 pound baby calf to sleep. That's how strong that narcotic is in dairy. All mammal breast milk has a naturally occurring morphine in it. So you feed the baby and the baby goes to sleep and absorbs the nutrients. Duh, absolute duh. And then processed fats activate the same pathways as marijuana. It's called the cannabinoid pathways because it was first observed in reaction to cannabis. And then caffeine is dopamine, flour, serotonin, excessive salt, and, um, and dairy and gluten. Gluten has a naturally occurring gluteomorphine. It's just like the, the act of eating was meant to be pleasurable beyond I'm not going to die of hunger. You're not going to die of hunger is really a good thing. But 
whoever created all of this put naturally occurring endorphins into plants. I, so when I, you eat them, you would associate pleasure with them. Yeah, I the as of today, the only thing that I find myself periodically restricting from my diet, because I don't eat really any of the stuff you've just mentioned is okay. salt and salt. I can, when I'm in a slight caloric deficit, because I agree, go, I like going real, real slow, very, very mild caloric deficit over a very long period of time and taking lots of breaks where I'm just maintaining my weight. Uh -huh. Lots of breaks. But I notice after a decent chunk of time with a caloric deficit, I start to salt my food a little bit more and more heavily. Ah, uh, interesting. And then I get to the point where I can't even necessarily see weight loss anymore because I'm retaining so much water because I'm yeah. overly salting my food. Smart. So then I got to stop with the salt. And when I cut back on salt, I actually get depressed. Uh-huh. So, okay. The, you, you can feel it. The, the research that led to this finding was done by Mark Old in Florida. He's the head of the McKnight Brain Institute at University of Florida. And he's a past president of the American Association of Addiction Medicine. He's an MD. And he was running a, um, a morphine recovery clinic. And he would just see these people in, in withdrawal from morphine. He'd sit down at the table and just open the top of the salt shaker and pour it on. He said, oh, salt must do something. Yeah. So here's the problem. These, all of these substances have different withdrawal syndromes. And, um, and on top of all of that, which no other addiction recovery has, people have been traumatized by restricting calories and waking up their food-seeking brain. And once you've done that, and once that, that food-seeking brain, the most primitive part of the brain, seven million years old, then you are, you're stuck with hyperactive searching for food for the rest of your life. Yeah. So um, this one is really diabolical because it, um, it mimics, because it's mixed into our food. So like nobody ever said, oh, gee, I wonder if this air has cigarette smoke in it. No. <laughs> you know, I wonder if this syringe has something in it. No. It's clear. Every other addiction is absolutely clear. I mean, they, the manufacturers try to hide it. You know, like they'll say, oh, this is a wine cooler. It's really more like just another soda so they could get teenage girls addicted to alcohol. But, but they hid this one well. They hired a consultant, Howie Moskowitz, who has a PhD in uh, experimental psychology and marketing from Harvard. Yeah, it's Harvard and Stanford turning out these scientists who go and work for the corporations that do this to us. And then let's just name names. Um, and he went around to all the corporations, hundreds and hundreds of project, products. He had developed a method for being able to maximize the addictive substances in the product while still hiding them. So to maximize the amount of sugar, fat, salt in a product before the customer would uh, taste it and reject it. Mm. It's absolutely deliberate. It was just unbelievably horrible. And then I looked up his website. Oh, he's still a consultant. I was invited to be on a panel and I was on a summit. I said, well, I got to see the other guests. There he was. I said, no way am I doing this. I'm not going to be on a panel with Howie Moskowitz. So was the intention to get it to the maximum point of, of brain interaction without being so overwhelming to the palate to turn you off the food? Because, you know, you can taste something that's so sweet, it's actually no longer good. You can. Yes, sure. I can, but most people cannot. Right. Yeah, most people. So that's what they did. They hid they, they, maxed, they maxed out the amount of sugar, fat, salt they could hide without detection in uh, all kinds of products, tomato sauce, pasta sauce, bread. Like you might be able to have eaten a slice of bread in the 1970s. You might've been able to get out two slices and make a sandwich and go on about your day. 
But by the end of the 1990s, you would have two slices of bread and then you would go back and eat the rest of the loaf or at least a few more slices or at least half the loaf and then hate yourself. What's wrong with me? Because by then you're, the addicted centers in your brain were triggered. Your brain was flooded with dopamine and serotonin and opiates and of your own making. We, this, these are our own feel good pain management systems. And that flood would get control of your behavior. The frontal lobe is only 2% of the brain. Little teeny tiny adorable frontal lobe does a lot of great tricks. <laughs> no way can that little tiny corner of the brain stand up to the other 98% of the brain, which is either food seeking or addicted. Right. So that's why, um, that's what happened. So how do you reverse that? In the, in the light of the fact that if you tell somebody to get, if you just tell somebody to give up a food, they will go and binge on it because you've woken up the diet mentality and you now you've woken up the, the fear of famine, the food seeking brain. If you say, why don't you cut out sugars? Boom, food seeking brain wakes up. Oh my God, when we get things up, we don't have enough food. Make them go look for food now. And you know the, the food the food seeking brain is woken up because you're binging. That is intense food seeking. That is not your childhood issues. That's not self-sabotage. It's not because it's that you're self-harming. It's because you've woken up the fear of famine brain. It's the only time that the fear of famine brain can override the conformance drive. So this, this is a little ways around to get to your question. I am getting there. No, no, I like it. Um, so conformance drive is how you get off those substances. It is the second most powerful part of the brain most of the time. The most powerful part of the brain is making your heart beat and you know, breathing. That's the autonomic system. The second most powerful is the conformance drive. And how do we know this? Because you will run out of a building if you see other people running out of the building. You will change lanes if you see people changing lanes. And if you see people eating processed foods, you will eat processed foods. It, your brain just makes you do it because for 7 million years of human evolution, if you could conform to a tribe, you would live. Only people who conformed, who put conformance first place in their behavior decisions would live because it was in that group of seven to 12 people that you would find food, find shelter, fight off predators and successfully raise children. You could not do that by yourself. The other animals would eat you. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so, and then there's one circumstance under which the food seeking brain will become more powerful than conformance drive and that is during a famine because then your survival strategy is different. If you find food, you don't want anybody else to find it. You wanna eat the whole thing as fast as you can before somebody else finds you or an animal finds you. And then you wanna get out of there because they're closing in and go and run and hide somewhere else. That is exactly binging behavior. Yeah, how do we beat this? Okay, it's, it's conformance drive. So what the food industry has done, it's just so, so diabolical. Uh, I like the name of Rob's book. Um, it's to, uh, so the food industry has gotten us to do this through conformance drive engagement. That's what they're doing in those commercials. So you're, you're, the little child sees Tony the tiger eating it in conformance drive, but she sees Tony the tiger all the time. Oh, he's a friend, he's in my tribe. And um, then she will just go bug mom until mom buys Frosted Flakes. It's sick, it's so sick, it's so sick. It's just unimaginable how delusional or evil food manufacturers are. Okay, so conformance drive, it's just think of it as radar and it's gonna latch on. But who is it going to latch on to? 
It's going to latch onto the people it sees most often. And that's the key. So in the first week of January, 2018, we ran our first reset week. Now, mind you, at that point, I'd been in this field for 22 years. I had tried 14 different things. I had, the only thing that ever worked was a, um, a church education program that I did for my doctoral internship. And that worked because those people had been going to that church for 40 years together. They knew each other well. So you de they delivered it in a communal fashion. You know, this is interesting because I just read an article that was published. I mean, this the article was from Time Magazine published in 2007 about a study that showed that um, obesity was actually contagious socially. Yes, yes. Here are, the, here are the guys who discovered that. Here they are. Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, Harvard. Yeah. That's right. It was a hard yeah, study. They did that study. And this is the mechanism. It's mirror neurons. It's conformance drive engagement. Right. So what we, the people we are around, we will tend to, to behave in the way that the group behaves. I'm going to say that a little bit more strongly. Okay. We yes. don't have a choice. It's not, it's not a tend to, we are the sum of the behaviors of the five people we see the most. Right. It's, it's, so another really great study came out recently showing that if you're in a circle that's overeating and gaining weight, you cannot lose weight. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you, if those are the people and that's what they're doing, and those are the people you see most often, don't blame yourself. Your conformist tribe has been engaged by addicted people. Same thing with drinking. Yeah. You know, they, do you get AA because um, they want you to, to stop hanging out with and have your conformist tribe engaged by people who are drinking? So your old drug, drinking buddies, you don't see them and you see these people who are not drinking and your conformist just swings over <gasps> and you're safe. Yeah. I always appreciated that aspect because it was like, you know, when you get into like higher powers and stuff like that, I, I would just go like, regardless of what your faith in uh, spirituality is, just make that group of people a power greater than you, because that's what a tribe is. That's kind of the whole point of having a tribe is that the tribe is more powerful than the individual. And you don't have to go to any effort to do that because your brain is hardwired to do exactly that. Just keep showing up and spending as much time as possible with people who are doing already what you want to do. Yeah. And you will do it. I mean, this you know? is a great, actually, this, this is a great um, sales technique for gyms too. Just like, oh, yeah. just go to the gym. It, you don't even have to have a plan. Just show up and go and be around people who are doing that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, but you got to be careful. Okay, time out. We got a time out. Yeah, little little tiny reframing here. Okay. Uh, I think going to gyms does, of course, wherever you are, your conformance tribe is looking. What are, what are they doing? We're going to do that too. <laughs> There's a lot of body obsession going on in gyms. Sure. I don't actually encourage my people to go to the gym good that's on the one hand and on the other hand there's a lot of great research for what happens to calm the brain because that's a number one is get those addicted brain cells to stop erupting calm in all circumstances go out and uh, sit sit under a tree oh okay yeah i mean people's joints are destroyed by this disease now that is something that doesn't come back is if you've lost a joint because processed foods erode cart cartilage, uh, that's not going to come back. I, I don't think so. Bones will come back. I don't know about cartilage though. People just their joints to stop hurting because they're not inflamed. It's these processed foods inflame, so anything can hurt, and everything feels better. Okay, so how do you do this? We never tell our members what to do. 
We have 15 hours a day of live programming on Zoom. And what we just say is when you're ready, come to the Zoom chats. And what we have learned uh, remarkably is that the brain, 98% of the brain doesn't understand screens. 98% of the brain developed out in the wilderness. It never saw anything that wasn't true. And that's why you have to be so careful about what you expose your brain to. It will believe everything is happening right in front of you, except for this little tiny adorable frontal lobe. Frontal lobe understands screens. So here's the trick. Frontal lobe cannot win against 98% of the brain, but frontal lobe can decide what messaging is going to reach that part of the brain. That part of the brain, 98% of the brain cannot make an evaluation. There are no judgmental, analytical, evaluative brain cells in 98% of the brain. It's all concentrated here in this little tiny frontal lobe. So the thing that, that, that frontal lobe will lose, anytime the addicted brain gets uh, agitated, stress pathways can agitate the addiction, cueing, just hundreds of kinds of cues, associative cueing. You know, the last time I saw this person, they were eating something ooey gooey. Gosh, why do I suddenly want something ooey gooey? Because I associate it with that person. So anytime the brain starts to erupt, and I think this happens to you two times a year, <laughs> the, the frontal lobe doesn't have a chance. All the blood flow goes back to the addicted brain back to the food seeking brain and the frontal lobe just crashes. It's, it's your computer is dead. Nothing is going in and nothing is coming out. And the addicted brain has got you, we call it zombie walking. You know, I don't want to get it. I don't want to get it. You're getting it. You're zombie walking, you're robot walking and you're going and getting it. You're picking up the keys to your car. You're getting in your car. Now what you hope, this is why we don't keep it in our houses what you hope is that on the way to getting it, that the dopamine rush will subside and the blood flow will return to the frontal lobe and you can turn your car around and go home. Wow. I, yeah. And, and, and just to, you know, because I think that sometimes to, if you think about your life and you're, and, and you're going like, but I have so many fond memories associated with the experience of having something sweet or fatty or salty in my mouth. Yes. But like, I have one of my kids, um, I have four daughters and, and oh, one of them, thank you very much. The 23 year old is super, super into health food and she Good. likes to do baking projects with health food. And she made muffins out of oatmeal some kind of nut butter which she made herself and a little molasses and i ate one of these things and i had all of the experience of like this wonderful joy in my mouth and then didn't feel like crap so you know i also have had a, an extensive amount of time away from processed foods so I might be more receptive and, and almost never eat anything like I just described to you. So yeah, eating yeah. that thing was an experience for me, which was rare. My point is I then didn't feel like crap after I ate that, you know? So there are things that are out there. If you get creative to figure out ways to enjoy the experience of food, it just might not be the same way. Like, you know, where, you know, if you're, smoking crack for a long time and you're downgrading to taking a nice walk and enjoying this the air you know this act of breathing just clean air might be a little bit different from what you remember experiencing but you can learn to like that too yeah yeah it would be it would kind of warm my heart and i believe i said this to lustig also if there was a gigantic class action lawsuit, if we got, we got, we got all the ability to market taken away and there were black label black box warnings on, you know, candy bars, excuse me, or Coca-Cola's that said, you know, and if you go to 
places like France, their 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 black boxes are quite graphic. I I wouldn't even mind that where you saw a picture of, you know, what an inflamed liver looked like, or you know, what... I didn't know that I didn't know they were doing that. Oh yeah, it's either France or England. They'll show you what uh, cancerous lungs look like on, on the, the pack package. of cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, on the cigarettes. Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. Yes. They don't. No. No. They don't have it on food. But um, yeah. it's it, coming. It, I, I don't know if I don't know if I'll still be alive when it gets here. But um, in the meanwhile, we just have to fight for ourselves. Yeah. Get the queuing out of the household. Get into. I I have to say honestly, and I hope you don't mind me saying this. Just cut it out if it's not okay. Say whatever you want. Um, we are, we, there is a place. There, the addiction reset community now is a place where you can go as slowly as you want. You know, to, we teach people to listen to, to themselves and wait until their own subconscious says, I think we're ready to try giving that up or at least cutting it back. And um, maybe it's too much. And two days later, they're back into it. We're like, it's okay, it's okay. You, you have all the time in the world and we don't have any path to failure. We have totters, which is try, observe, talk, tweak, repeat slowly. So yeah. this is the Thomas Edison approach to building a new life. He had to go through 350 metal combinations before he found the filament that would be the basis for the light bulb. 350. Yeah. I yeah. think the idea of allowing people to, you know, the pressure to succeed can become deadly. Yeah. it's deadly it drive you right back into the food yeah I, I i personally have given up a number of times simply because i had a bad weekend or a bad night mm -hmm. or it was mm -hmm. christmas and my family was sick of me dieting over the holidays and so yeah. there you go you know what i mean but but my issues with food have always been much more severe like i you know the other thing that is sad for me to sometimes confront is the fact that when we talk about the um, propensity for things like obesity to be um, uh, contagious, I have to realize and confront the fact that I wasn't connected to other obese people, but many people were in contact with me and potentially becoming obese because of their connection. That to is me. not your fault. Well, that is I've, not your fault. It's just something I've thought about, you know, like, because no, I never thought about it in those terms. Did this to you. The tobacco companies deliberately did this to you. You were assaulted. You were attacked. Your brain was addicted with, nobody ever called you up and said, hey, we have a great deal. Would you like to become processed food addicted? Nobody ever asked you. You never made that decision. You were probably, you know, think about a, <laughs> the first few moments of conception. Nobody's like dialing into that zygote saying, hey, you want to be addicted? No, I already addicted. I appreciate that. I just, for today, the idea that the only thing that gets me through my days today is that I can be in control of everything. Yes, yes. That's the key. So this is what this is where we part ways from the twelve step groups. We are empowering. We are teaching. We are training. We are developing skills. We are restoring self-confidence. We are restoring self-empowerment. Like we have a method for people to figure out their own food plan. Uh, you know, rotate proteins, seven different animal proteins, four different plant proteins. Rotate your fruits, rotate your vegetables, rotate your starches, and then eat the same group every Monday. Eat a different group every Tuesday, but the same group every Tuesday. And pretty soon you'll notice Within a couple of weeks, you know, on Thursday, I feel great. But on Friday, I feel terrible. And Friday is my shrimp day. I think shrimp doesn't work for me. Nobody can tell you that, but you can figure it out yourself. This is, we're, we're very much about strengthening our members because they are facing down those Harvard and Stanford trained addiction scientists at the corporation. I'm glad yes. you brought that up. Power. We need power. We need power. We can take power. I thank you so much, Dr. Elford. How do people find you and find out more about the Reset Weeks? Okay, so we are, we're starting, we have Reset Weeks three times a year. Okay. And uh, we have one starting 
this Sunday, but the best place to start is at processedfoodaddiction.com. Okay. And you can take a self-quiz there for the 11 signs of addiction to processed foods, and you can start to get a feel for how severe you have it. And then, um, uh, then if you take that self-quiz and you give us your email address, you'll get invited to a workshop. And we will start to just listen, listen, listen to your experiences, what you need, what you want. And then if you want to stay, we will describe the, the opportunity to join the Addiction Reset community. So the Addiction Reset community is all year long, 365 days a year, 15 hours a day, every day of programming. The addiction never rests, doesn't, it gets worse in fact on um, holidays and weekends. So we maintain that level of availability. It doesn't mean that you have to be there at all, but you, but you just know that they're, they're there, they're there, they're there, I could pop in. When you pop in, what you're doing is you're, you're redirecting the blood flow away from your addicted brain cells to your community brain cells. And that'll stop a craving like that, just yeah. popping into a, a chat. So processedfoodaddiction.com is the place to start. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm going to check that out today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really Thank appreciate you. this. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your story. Absolutely. And your super excellent question. Thank you. Unique. See, see you later. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now for the Q&A. Here is a question from Jason. Hi, Jason. Jason says, so I've recently got back into working out and diet. I started at 360 and down to 327. Nice. I never was interested in diet until now, and learning how much protein I need is crazy. So my question is, how do I eat 327 grams of protein and stay in a calorie deficit? This is very challenging. It says I need one gram per pound. Okay, well... Let's just do the math here. 300, uh, 27 is hard for me to do in my head, but I know th 300 grams of protein is 1,200 calories. Th what's so hard about that? That's probably half uh, of your daily needs at 327 pounds at 2,000 calories or even 2,500, you're probably in a bit of a deficit. So I don't, that's, that's, that's my math. So it's really not as hard as it seems because it, it does maybe just sounds I mean, look, like a lot of pro. Oh my God, that's I'm, a lot of protein. I'm eating 250 grams of protein a day and it's work. It's actually work to get that in. And so if you told me you got to up it to 300, I'd be like, I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's possible, but it's, and, and also I would say to Jason, um, you know, it, I've read before that it could be 0.8. It doesn't have to be. And, and I've read some people say it's um, one gram per lean tissue. I don't get into all of that, but like, you know, you don't have to aim for 327 exactly. You could aim for 300. You know, you could go, I want to be 250 pounds. You could be eating 250, 250 grams of protein. It's a, it's a lot of protein. I, I, do, I do like the idea of one gram per pound of body weight. That's basically what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but if you're off a little bit, I don't think it. I don't think it matters. If you're off a lot over a long period of time, maybe it matters, but I don't think it matters that much. And to his real question, that's not all the calories. You've got plenty of calories left over. Mm -hmm. I would think there's yeah. no way he's got to hit 1,200 calories for to be in a deficit. Right. So this is good news and encouraging for him because it seems daunting, right? Like, how am I going to eat all this and still be under my calories? But it sounds like he totally could be. You totally can. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe he has a condition and, and like, he, you know, whatever the thyroid is telling his body and he has to eat much less calories than 
uh, your average person at that height and weight would eat. But 327 pounds, does he say how tall he is? Uh, No. All right. Well, I, I just think, Jason, I think in order to get into a deficit, by the way, how much of an extreme deficit are you trying to get in? Like, that could be another factor. Like, if you're trying to get into, like, shaving off, you know, thousands of calories a day, I would suggest that that's maybe not the best way to do it because you're going to run into trouble if you're trying to hit your protein macros and trying to do some ultra, ultra low calorie thing. But you can be in a deficit and eat that many. I I think, I mean, we don't know what his calories are per day. Right. But that is only about 1,200 calories, maybe 13 or 1,400 when you add the other 27 grams. Right. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. If you have a question you'd like answered on the podcast, please email it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.